1: you free how you doing i'm leslie marshall welcome or welcome back only true democracy in talk radio thank you for listening on radio on podcast on stream for watching us on twitter's periscope facebook live youtube live and linkedin live we're glad to have you with us great guests coming up later in the hour um i always like to start the show with something uh personal okay so i'm going to do two pers- personal things one you know, sometimes I think we all in life have these stupid things in our lives that we just love and and they become favorites. And there was this little cube sponge that I bought at Target. I think it's like yellow with blue. Um that I you know have bought forever pretty much and I can't find it. Can't find it at Target anymore. Can't find it online. I don't remember the name of it. Anyway, I seriously spent like an hour of my morning looking for this stupid sponge. And I'm just like, Leslie, what are you doing? <laughs> we get we get sucked into the, uh, the online, I, I got to get that thing, uh, you know. And then second, I kind of debated talking about this because I'm sure pieces of it will get nasty remarks. And, you know, some people will send it somewhere, but... Um, my dad died at 58 years of age of heart disease, and I just had a girlfriend die this past summer at 46 years of age uh, from stomach cancer. My father-in-law just passed away at 91 years of age, um, but I, I saw him and I watched him die. And even though we all know we're going to die, um, the idea that I think for a lot of us is, is not like, oh, can't wait till that happens, you know? Um, and, and I think it's not just dying, but how we die and how we age, right? Now, those of you who know my husband know that he is a beyond a health freak. He is the epitome of health. He gets younger looking every year. Even though people tell me I don't age, I certainly do. But what people love to pick on with me a lot is my weight. And uh, I'm just going to let this out there. Um I went through 13 IVF cycles, I suffered 11 miscarriages and the death of a child. And the reason I mentioned the miscarriages and the IVF cycles, uh, any woman out there who's ever done this knows it's hell on your body. You're pumping your body with hormones, your weight's going up, you know, 10, 20, 30, 50 pounds, then it comes down. When you miscarry, you get pregnant, you don't get the baby, but you get the fat. That's a fact. So, um, throughout my career, people, uh, men and women, and I think it's really worse when women do it to each other. I think it's one of the reasons when the majority of the population, you know, here and in much of the world, but we don't have the majority of power, the money (laughs) or decision making, because we're too busy picking on each other and what do we look like? (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so a lot of people have, uh, you know, picked on my weight and after all these deaths, I, I went to see doctors and, you know, I'm pretty healthy. But sadly, I did get from dad high cholesterol and high triglycerides. So I need to be healthier. And like many people during COVID, I had put on some weight. Anyway, so I have busted my butt. I have lost 18 pounds. I um, am down two dress sizes, one bra size, and I have 17 pounds to go. So when some a-hole today, sorry, that's the word, uh, said on Twitter, Is it me or does Leslie Marshall get fatter and fatter every time she's on TV? I seriously wanted to fly in a plane, find him in his little house in Texas for I'm sure he's three to four hundred pounds and bitch slap the blankety blank. That's the memo. (laughs) So I just wanted to say, rather than attack people for their physical appearances, I am not on radio or television for, you know, I'm I'm not running, uh, winning, you know, a beauty contest. I don't plan on it. Uh, I'm on for my mind, and I'm on for a difference of opinion. Presenting that opinion and how I present it, opining based on facts. That's it. That's all. I'm Leslie Marshall. Let's check what is ripped. <laughs> I know. I just want to say one other thing. Like when you pick on people, I, I I remember years ago when he was still alive, good friend of mine, Alan Combs. People were picking on his weight, and he was losing weight. and He had brain cancer, and he was losing weight. And he was sick. You know, so sometimes if somebody's heavy or thin, maybe there's something else going on. Maybe they're on medication that makes them fast, uh, fatter, heavier. Maybe they're dying, <laughs> you know. Maybe they're losing weight because they're under extreme stress. Just think about that. Be best, as former First Lady Melania Trump said, I would go different. Be better. Be better. Because you must be a really sad person to feel elevated by putting somebody else down. At least that's how I was brought up and what I was taught. You know, and and maybe we wouldn't have, we're going to have division in this country, right? We're going to have division politically and everything else. But maybe we wouldn't have so much vitriol, so much hatred. Maybe we wouldn't have things like January 6th. Maybe we wouldn't have the hate crimes. If we stopped judging each other, I think there's a reason judge not lest you be judged is in the Bible, by the way. I you know, stop judging each other. If you really have that much time and you don't have enough stuff to do with your time, come to my house. I got a laundry list, Laundry would be one of them of things I could use help with. because if you if your life is so shallow and so empty that you fill it by being mean to other people, you should look in the mirror because that's a miserable existence. And, and, and honestly, it's a really miserable and sad statement for we as human beings on our society, not just Americans, but worldwide. That's it, that's the memo. Anyway, let's check what's ripped from those headlines. Vaccinated teachers, And my computer. Here we go. Vaccinated teachers and students don't need to wear masks inside school buildings when classes resume this fall. That's according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Now, I can already see it now. The kids that are wearing masks, it's going to be like, well, we know who got vaccinated and who didn't. Right. But the CDC is urging schools to remain open and teachers and students to safely return to in-person learning, recommending it keep prevention strategies in place to prevent future COVID-19 outbreaks in school settings. But they stressed that in-person learning is a priority and as a mother who has a 13 and 14 year old at home and was home for a year and a half why do you think I gained the weight <laughs> two three glasses of wine every night <laughs> why do you think I gained the weight seriously a lot of people I know did they went you know they either put it on or lost it because of the stress it was very stressful for parents. Uh, this past year who had to wear multiple hats, including that as teacher. Anyway, the CDC said unvaccinated adults and children under 12 who are currently ineligible to receive a coronavirus vaccine, they should still wear the masks indoors. Students of all ages should continue to uh, to learn uh, to learn in the setting three feet apart, not six. Schools should implement, because it's harder, when you have a big classroom six, uh, should implement screening, testing, and promote hand-washing, respiratory etiquette, and staying home when sick, according to the new guidance. If physical distancing cannot be managed maintained the health agency said well the classes should put other precautions in place the cdc did not advocate for schools to require teachers or students to get vaccinated against the coronavirus although they have you know advocated that in the past and certainly the biden administration is uh, by the way uh, the only people that are dying from covid these days are not vaccinated i am fully vaccinated my husband is he's a physician you know with one of the first rounds my two children are 13 and 14. And uh, none of us had any adverse uh, reactions. If any of you are fearful about that, just wanted to share. Let's rip another. President Biden says he will not send another generation of Americans to war in Afghanistan. No reasonable expectation to achieve a different outcome. He says, take a listen, here's the president.
0: How many thousands more Americans, daughters and sons are you willing to risk? How long would you have them stay? Already we have members of our military, whose parents fought in Afghanistan 20 years ago? Would you send their children and their grandchildren as well? Would you send your own son or daughter? After 20 years, a trillion dollars spent training and equipping hundreds of thousands of Afghan national security and defense forces. 2,448 Americans killed. 20,722 more wounded and untold thousands coming home with unseen trauma to their mental health. I will not send another generation of Americans to war in Afghanistan with no reasonable expectation of achieving a different outcome. The United States cannot afford to remain tethered to policies creating a response to a world as it was 20 years ago. We need to meet the threats where they are today Today, the terrorist threat has metastasized beyond Afghanistan. So we are repositioning our resources and adapting our counterterrorism posture to meet the threats where they are now, significantly higher in South Asia, the Middle East, and Africa. But make no mistake, our military and intelligence leaders are confident they have the capabilities to protect the homeland, and our interests from any resurgent terrorist challenge emerging or emanating from Afghanistan.
1: I'm Leslie Marsh. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with our second half of what's ripped from the headlines. Do not go away. I love that song, Marky Mark. Marky Mark uh, keeps me youthful. <laughs> no, but I do. I love that song. Although my kids hate when M&M comes on, Lose Yourself. I blast it. I sing it. Mark knows that's my motivational stuff. Uh, anyway, hey there. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Only true democracy and talk. We have guests joining us in the second half of the hour. But right now, let's continue what is ripped from those headlines. Even though I'm 29. And a half. Yeah. Anyway, President Biden signing an executive order today promoting 72 initiatives across more than a dozen agencies aiming to reduce corporate consolidation, increase competition and offer benefits to consumers, workers, farmers and small businesses. So why does this matter? Well, it's a sweeping push to fulfill Biden's goal of making the U.S. economy more dynamic, fairer as the administration seeks to crack down on highly concentrated industries like big tech and compete more effectively with China. I just went away for a weekend with a couple of my girlfriends, one of which is from Shanghai originally. She had gone to visit her mom who lives back there still, and she said she has never seen two things in her lifetime. Uh, One, such patriotism among the Chinese. Two, such anti-American sentiment. Thank you, Donald Trump with the Wuhan flu and China virus. Uh, and actually, I'll add a third thing um, that patriotism uh, transcends into working hard to make them number one in the world in, in in power economically with manufacturing and producing goods and buying more of their own goods and making more of their own goods. Sound like something that we used to do and need to do again? Absolutely. Uh, any, anyway. Um, Uh, Quote, having healthy competition is vital to an effective capitalist system. That's Brian Deese, the top economic advisor to the president. That's what he told The New York Times. He continued, quote, it is a driver of higher wages, lower prices, more innovation and more business creation. Here are details, among other things, that this executive order will do. It will establish an administration policy of greater scrutiny of mergers, especially by dominant Internet platforms. Republicans should like that. Ban or limit non-compete agreements and occupational licensing requirements that impede economic mobility. Lower prescription drug prices by supporting state and tribal programs that will import safe and cheaper drugs from Canada. Allow hearing aids to be sold over the counter at drugstores. Yeah, that's, that's not going to hurt you, right? Uh, push here. I'm going to need one when, when I'm older, I guarantee it. Push airlines to refund money when they lose bags or when the in-flight Wi-Fi doesn't work. Ban excessive early termination fees on internet bills, require clear disclosure of plan costs to facilitate comparison shopping and and landlord exclusivity arrangements that stick tenants with only a single Internet option. Encourage the FCC to reinstate net neutrality rules prohibiting the blocking, throttling or paid prioritization of Web traffic that were repealed by former President Trump's FCC. Increase opportunities for small businesses by directing all federal agencies to promote greater competition through their procurement and spending decisions. Now, this order will establish a White House Competition Council. DEES will lead that to monitor these initiatives. Let's rip another. In other departments like the Commerce Department, they added 34 foreign entities to an export blacklist today for, quote, acting contrary to the foreign policy interest of the United States. 23 companies allegedly tied to the Chinese military or implicated in the genocide against the Muslim minorities in Xinjiang. Uh, Why does it matter? It's the Biden administration's latest effort to hold China accountable. People say, hold China accountable, hold China accountable, Joe Biden is, for its human rights abuses and restrict U.S. firms from doing business in Xinjiang. That's where Beijing is engaged in a campaign of mass surveillance, detention, and forced labor against the Uyghurs and other minorities. The Commerce Department is also blacklisting companies based in Canada, Iran, Lebanon, the Netherlands, Pakistan, Russia, Singapore, South Korea, Taiwan, Turkey, the UAE and the UK if they violate U.S. sanctions on Iran or Russia. So here's the context of this. The so-called entity list bans the listed companies from doing business with American suppliers without obtaining a license from the U.S. government. Dozens of companies tied to repression in in Xinjiang were blacklisted under the Trump administration. So the Biden administration continues to use the entity list, pushing back on the growing assertiveness of the Chinese Communist Party because just having that list didn't do enough. China has denied the existence of human rights violations in in Xinjiang. We know that's not true. A foreign ministry spokesperson said in a statement today, "Quote: The Chinese side will take all necessary measures to safeguard the legitimate rights and interests of Chinese companies and rejects U.S. attempts to interfere in China's internal affairs." Uh, Well, the United States is trying to interfere with concentration camps with Muslim minority Uyghurs. Let's rip another. The Texas legislator convened yesterday for a special session requested by the governor, Greg Abbott, Republican, to consider a collection of conservative priorities that's including new voting restrictions. Uh, state Republicans in both the House and the Senate introduced new bills that would ban drive through voting and would make it a crime for election officials to solicit mail-in voting applications. Uh, By the way, the the drive-through voting is very helpful to people that work two, three jobs, work weekends. And who do you think in Texas does more than anybody? Those things? Yeah, minorities, Hispanics and African-Americans. So this certainly targets minority uh, community uh, voters. Um, And they also omitted a portion of the previous bill that said Texans couldn't vote before 1 p.m. on Sundays. That would have blocked Sold to the polls. That's a tradition black communities have to encourage people to vote after church. Uh, The special session comes weeks after. And by the way, hello. (laughs) You know, if you live in rural Texas and you have to drive an hour or more to go to your church, how and when are you going to vote if there are restrictions and that's your only day off? Again, certainly voter suppression. The special session comes weeks after state Democrats staged that walkout to block the voter restriction bill. The 87th legislative session was a monumental success for the people of Texas, they say, but we have unfinished business to ensure that Texas remains the most exceptional state in America. That was Governor Abbott. The big picture is the agenda for the special session includes legislation reforming the bail system in the state, a bill providing funding to local law enforcement and a measure evaluating social media censorship, uh, among other items. By the way, what Texas should do is take a look at the gun law, if you want to say, or a lack of. It just passed every single day since that has been passed. I've seen more and more, uh, you know, random uh, gun deaths and, and not with drugs. There was a guy in Texas uh, in the past 24 hours, walked up to a couple at a bar and shot them just because he could. Let's rip another. Vice President Kamala Harris yesterday announced a $25 million investment by the DNC to support efforts to protect voting access ahead of the 2022 midterms. She said with this $25 million, the Democrats are investing in the tools and technology to register voters, educate voters, to turn out voters, to protect voters. That was yesterday in a speech in the afternoon at Howard University. Howard University is a historically black institution in our nation's capital. She also attended that college. The announcement comes as Republicans Republican-controlled states around the country have passed a wave of restrictive voting rights laws fueled in part by former President Donald Trump's false claim about the results of the 2020 election and as the Supreme Court voted last week to uphold those restrictive voting laws in Arizona. Hey, listen, here's the thing. Success is the best revenge. That's what I was taught. I believe it. And it's true. If you can't win in the courts about these laws, you got to win at the polls. You can't sit down and say, well, they gonna make it hard for me to vote. No, you get off your ass, you get out, and you vote in numbers they've never seen before. Teach them a lesson. Let them learn from what they've done in these states to try and prevent you, African Americans, you, Latinos, you, youth, you, people who don't have as much money, you working two, three jobs, working six days a week, you who are not near, near a place to vote or a ballot box, that's how you change it. I'm Leslie Marshall. Quick break. We'll be back. That's what's written from the headlines with our guest coming up and right after this, don't we? We are back, happy Friday. Thank God it's Friday, huh? I'm Leslie Marshall, welcome or welcome back. We have joining us on the program for the first time, Dr. Lauren A. Wright. Dr. Wright is an associate research scholar and lecturer in politics and public affairs at Princeton University. She's friends with our friend, Julian Zelizer, and uh, and uh, a, a working colleague. She teaches courses there on the presidency and executive power, women in politics, and political communication. She's also author of Star Power, American Democracy in the Age of the Celebrity Candidate, and On behalf of the president, presidential spouses, and the White House communication strategy today, check out her website, laurenaright.com. That's L-A-U-R-E-N-A-W-R-I-G-H-T dot com. And on Twitter, follow her there at Dr. Lauren A. Wright. Dr. Wright, thank you for joining us and and welcome to the uh, program. Good to have you with us on this Friday in the summer. Hope you're uh, staying cool or staying dry. I know some places have had some excess rain due to Elsa. Uh, Thank you for being with us.
2: Oh, thanks for having me, Leslie. I'm really excited to talk to you.
1: Um, I want to talk about, um, you know, I want to talk about celebrity politics. Mm -hmm. I mean, I live in California where there was a recall election years ago. And when Arnold Arnold Schwarzenegger first threw his hat into the ring, many of us, myself included, thought, yeah, right, and had a good chuckle, the the Terminator could become the governor. And he did. And uh, we've seen other celebrities run. Donald Trump was a celebrity. And I, as a Democrat, when Donald Trump ran, I said on Fox as a contributor here on my show in my backyard to people that thought it wouldn't be possible, just watch that cult of personality and the power of celebrity might surprise you because I saw it happen here in California. Are we at that point? We're seeing in the polls Matt McConaughey in Texas beating uh, 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 Beto. And I mean, who who has, you know, political experience and is loved and adored uh, by his local Texans and who didn't leave Texas like McConaughey did. Um, And certainly, uh, you know, I jokingly say, you know, the Kardashians could run, you know, Mm -hmm. and win and win a seat. Um, So how much how much star power, how much does star power weigh into our political uh, system nowadays?
2: Well, it gives you a huge head start. And so one of those things is name recognition, and Donald Trump's a perfect example. And you probably remember, you know, back in the summer of 2015, people were saying, what a spectacle, should we take this seriously? 92% is the name recognition Donald Trump entered a very crowded Republican primary field with. And it's even harder for political elites and political junkies to see this sometimes because they think this is not a serious person. But for most people who don't pay that much attention to politics and have trouble distinguishing all of these traditional politicians from one another and the policy positions that they support, a celebrity with an entertainment skill set, which is that's what our election system often looks like, especially at the presidential level, is show business, can cut through the noise and they just start with more of a boost if they're popular. Uh, than a traditional politician, and those people spend years trying to build name recognition, and they become known in these very divisive conversations where they're, uh, they're you know, automatically alienating half uh, of voters sometimes by, by uh, being affiliated with a party. Celebrities come to the process later uh, with built-in popularity, outsider status, fundraising capabilities, all of these characteristics that most politicians wish they started out with. You know, of course, not every celebrity wins every single race, but they do have certain advantages that other candidates don't.
1: Yeah, clearly here in California, Caitlyn Jenner is running. Caitlyn Jenner has no political experience. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Donald Trump didn't have any political experience. Uh, Donald Schwarzenegger didn't. Matthew McConaughey doesn't. I mean, the list goes on. There's you know uh, more and more celebrities out there. Um, Do do you think that um, you know the 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 name rec- and the name recognition, by the way, when you're driving, that's why you see so many signs of people's names on it, right? It's right, in a sense right. kind of people are hoping it's brainwashing and that, mm-hmm. you know, subconsciously you'll remember that name. Um, do you think that this makes them less effective to govern properly? Uh, that they're better at campaigning and winning with the name, but not necessarily governing, because most of these people have zero political experience. I've got to say I'm one of those people, and it's not because I'm a Democrat. This is how I feel, even if I'm a Republican. I do feel that politicians should have experience. Now, sure, sure, when somebody gets into the game to begin with, they're not going to have any, right? But to me, if somebody's running for president of the United States or governor of a state, they should have some political experience. Um, Absolutely. in, In my opinion.
2: Oh, I got too excited because I agree with you, uh, but research shows, in fact, that political novices on average, if you look at studies of the U.S. House, for instance, are just much less effective on average than experienced politicians Unless, and, and this is a big unless, because it's been argued with Arnold Schwarzenegger and certainly there have been celebrity politicians who become more like typical politicians and they listen to experienced advisors and they, you know, take the work seriously. Um, you know, in general, that can happen, but it's rarer than an effective govern uh, government representative who comes from those lower legislative ranks, maybe city council, then state legislature. The work of governing is not glamorous, as you know, Leslie. Leslie, it's Uh, drudgery. It is, you know, it is really difficult. Uh, You know, it is very stressful and it is not exciting all of the time. Policymaking is not show business. And so some celebrities don't realize that coming into the process and they think, oh, I can take this bombast, you know, and these extreme tactics, these, um, you know, communication stunts, and take that into office. And that's not how it works when you have to operate within a party system and an institutional system that really requires that you understand the machinery, or at the very least, have experienced people around you that you will listen to and do what they say. And it just happens that. Celebrities often don't have that, whether it's a a personality abnormality or a preference for doing things or a tendency to surround themselves with loyalists who say yes all the time. It does not spell out a recipe for success. But there are, of course, exceptions to that.
1: One of the advantages a celebrity has, too, and we're seeing it right now with Caitlyn Jenner. We saw it with Donald Trump and still do. We definitely will see it if he runs again in 2024 for president is they get more airtime. Because, I mean, look, if Matthew McConaughey runs every place, you know, from Hollywood to Austin to D.C. to New York, They're going to want to get him on because they want ratings and people are going to tune in to hear what a celebrity has to say. or for some people that think he's cute, you know, what what does he look like these Mm -hmm. days? You know, whatever. Um, And, you know, that is an an advantage. I mean, Caitlyn Jenner, I don't think has a shot in hell, quite frankly, of winning the governor's race here in California. I don't think Gavin Newsom will lose his seat, nor do I Mm -hmm. think he should, not just because I'm a Democrat, because I think he's done a great job here in California. Uh, But Caitlyn Jenner is getting more airtime than Gavin Newsom is simply because she is Caitlyn Jenner.
2: Yes. And it's a certain kind of airtime, which is really important. It's uncritical airtime with a lot of softball questions that, again, (laughs) a traditional politician doesn't get. And we, you know, I remember when Donald Trump was appearing on MSNBC Fox every channel and, you know, he would call in sometimes, you know, you know, they get certain uh, benefits that traditional professional politicians don't because the yardstick is just completely different, um, you know, both ethically and from a governing knowledge perspective or a policy knowledge perspective than we use for other politicians. So that's an advantage in addition just to the huge spotlight and audience that they can draw.
1: So, you know, it, it- it is, a, is a celebrity who enters the political field held to a different standard than politicians who are politicians, not because they're celebrities, but because they're politicians?
2: I think they are. And, you know, it's not necessarily the fault of journalists. It's just that when. Someone like Donald Trump says, Hey, look at me. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm not a politician. That's a credible claim. You know, a, a politician can't get away with that. And so it might not necessarily be how journalists are framing the candidacy. Sometimes it's framed very negatively, but the way that people watch and Uh, the standards they apply to these candidates tend to just be lower standards because they say, hey, that person looks a lot like me. I don't know a lot about politics either. Uh, And so it sort of builds on this appeal they have as outsiders
1: we're going to take a break. I don't want you to uh, not be able to answer a question and flip it to the other side. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more with our guest, Dr. Lauren A. Wright, Associate Research Scholar and Lecturer in Politics and Public Affairs at Princeton University. She just courses on the presidency and executive power of women and politics and political communication, author of Star Power, American Democracy in the Age of the Celebrity Candidate, and on behalf of the president, Presidential Spouses and White House Communication Strategy Today. Her website, once again, is WarrenAWright.com and on Twitter follow her at Dr. Horrin A. Wright. I'm Leslie Marshall Quick Break. We'll be back with Dr. Wright and you right after this. Don't go away.
0: If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at Leslie
1: We are back on Leslie Marshall. We are me. Your host, Leslie Marshall, and our guest, Dr. Lauren A. Wright, Associate Research Scholar and Lecturer in Politics and Public Affairs at Princeton University. Follow her on Twitter at Dr. Lauren A. Wright, her website, LaurenAWright.com. Dr. Wright, thank you for holding and uh, welcome back. Um, a lot of people are discussing, both on the left and the right what type of a future Donald Trump will have, what his role will be in politics, and more specifically in the Republican Party. Uh, Statistics seem to show that about a third of Republicans believe the big lie that he has been putting forth that the election was stolen from him. Um, There is a group within that group who believe in August sometime he's going to be put on his throne in the Oval Office, if you will. Um, And, you know, there's certainly talk. He's been talking about 2024, um, about running again in 2024. There are Republicans that believe and Democrats uh, that he will be the Republican nominee and that he certainly could win uh, against a Joe Biden, even though he's, uh, you know, uh, lost before because you know sometimes the party that is not in power can actually spawn larger turnout based on frustration, anger, uh, etc. So what do you see as Trump's role in the Republican Party going forward in the future?
2: Well, I think it's obvious from midterm messaging that we're already seeing that he is a core part of the Republican Party. And I think that's a political miscalculation uh, because he may very well slide right through to a Republican primary victory. Um, It's not the case that most Republicans absolutely love Donald Trump and wouldn't consider another choice, but his core supporters, you know, are the loudest and most active. And I've seen stats up to 53% of Republicans Mm -hmm. that think the 2020 election was stolen. And so, you know, that, that group is big enough in a primary, again, that's divided possibly among 10, even more Republican candidates that are not as well known it's possible for them to send him to the general election. I don't believe Trump can win a general election. You know, he didn't win last time. Yes, there was the pandemic and the administration's failures re- related to that. But it's, you know, it's relatively easy in this country uh, for an incumbent president to win re-election. You have to mess up pretty badly. And this is a president that was impeached twice and then was responsible practically and morally, and to use Mitch McConnell's words, for an insurrection on the 6th of January. And so that is not a good choice for Republicans to ride into the general election if they want to take back the White House, and they might learn that the hard way.
1: So you think that the support for Trump, and I, and I would believe like Mitch McConnell and you know the Kevin McCarthy's out there, um, you know they, they have one foot in each part of their party. The Reagan Republicans are the more moderate, Uh, Republicans, old school Republicans, if you will, and then those um, who who love Trump. I'm wondering then, where does that put people like Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, uh, Abbott, governor of Texas, uh, Marco Rubio, senator uh, from Florida, uh, Ted Cruz, a senator from Texas, who all clearly have aspirations of running for president? Does this mean that they have to be next to Mike Pence? Because after January 6th, you know Donald Trump won't choose Pence uh, as his running mate. Uh, VP on the ticket if he were to run in 2024?
2: That's a great question. No, I haven't seen great polling on the Republican primary field. Part of that is because we keep getting these straw polls from groups like CPAC that really are not representative of the Republican Party at large. They're representative of activists who travel to conventions and really care about this stuff and pay attention and love Donald Trump. But if someone like Ron DeSantis or another governor wants to win, they must at this point distinguish themselves with the president rather than try to keep a foot in both, you know, both worlds, because that's what happened in the 2016 primary is candidates started realizing he was popular and so they didn't want to attack him outright. And by the time they realized, no, we have to attack him to win, it was way too late in the process. And so I see a lot of those mistakes being made again. What I don't understand is why there isn't more of a push from the donor class and from party establishment figures who know Donald Trump would probably lose a general election to try to get the primary field winnowed down to an an electable candidate that's not Donald Trump. because you know, Republican donors, they want what they've wanted for many years. They want low taxes. They want to scale back regulation. They will not be able to do those things, at least as effectively with a Democrat in the White House. And, you know, we don't want to live in a country where Donald Trump can't benefit from his small donors. Of course, he's going to have those. And, you know, people can donate to whoever they want. And if he's the Republican primary winner, then of course we want the media to cover a general election figure. But there are other things Republicans can do now um, to get together and say, do we really want to support this person on a large scale financially? There aren't that many donors and Mitch McConnell could probably get that effort going I'm not quite sure why that's not happening.
1: Yeah, no, I would agree with you as well. I mean, he lost when he was at his you know, you know, when he was uh, on top of the world, if you will. um i I would agree with you. I do worry that he could maybe win simply because people are so angry, but are there the numbers that could come out? On uh, mass, and and you're absolutely right. An incumbent president, incumbent president, statistically, you know, historically, uh, you know, wins reelection. That wasn't the case of Donald Trump. That wasn't the case for Daddy Bush and you know some others. But most presidents are not one-term presidents. And and then in addition to that, do you think if he loses in 2024, he will not go away because he needs this defeat? His narcissistic personality and his ego, and he'll run in 2028. 20, like you know, he will just he will be an albatross around the neck of the Republican Party.
2: I don't know. So, you know, I'm not a legal scholar or a psychologist and those are the people that I think are very helpful um, in predicting the future outcome of um, these lawsuits that Trump's embroiled in and his sort of urge to chase, um, you know, the, the public approval forever. Uh, But, you know, I do think that people are overestimating the impact these lawsuits have on opinion of Trump. It's not going to make one bit of difference to his supporters, um, you know, whether um, he's dragged into court or not. You know, it's, it's just, you know, it's what we talked about a little bit earlier with standards People have, they've already bought into all of this that's related to Trump and legal problems are not going to dissuade them at this point.
1: I agree. Let's talk about something you do know something about and you teach about (laughs) women in politics. Uh, Kamala Harris uh, made history, uh, not only as the first uh, Southeast Asian and, uh, you know, not African-American, but black American of Jamaican descent and woman uh, as vice president. Um, How has her time in office been different from her predecessors? Is, you know, is she being judged more harshly because of her gender?
2: It's possible. One thing that's really been striking to me, because I've been studying um, surrogates in uh, presidential politics for many years, and I'm constantly running survey experiments and kind of taking the temperature of reactions to different presidential surrogates to see who's the most effective and measuring how many times do they appear in public? And it's actually been the case, you know, as in the most recent administrations until the Trump administration, that first ladies were more publicly active than vice presidents. Vice presidents Mm -hmm. would pay more of a behind the scenes role and first ladies, because they're so popular and they're less divisive as political figures, really were out front doing most of the public advocacy work and they were not given enough credit for that both Michelle Obama and Laura Bush. Now what we see with Vice President Harris is she is shouldering in addition to these, um, you know, huge portfolio items like immigration and voting rights that the president's tasked her with, she's shouldering the majority of the surrogate uh, communications responsibility. For instance, you know, of the White House, if you look at their YouTube channel, she's had over 100 appearances on that compared to about 20 for Joe Biden. Same with speeches. She's just off the charts with how often she's appearing in public. And preliminary results I have from survey experiments to kind of test which messenger is most effective show that she actually has a negative impact under some circumstances on public opinion of biden and his policies compared to biden himself and so i don't know fully the mechanism behind that but my data does support um, some of these assertions that and reporting we've been hearing from people in the white house and um, close to joe biden that Perhaps Kamala Harris, if she runs in 2024 and uh, Biden retires, can't win that easily. Mm. And part of that is certainly might be because black women in general are seen as more progressive automatically, even if they're not. Um, There are different obstacles they have to overcome. And whether that's happening or not, it does seem to show up in the data, this hesitancy some Democrats have about Harris's prospects.
1: In just a sentence or two, we have less than uh, 60 seconds. Um, How do you think Jill Biden is doing as First Lady? You teach about First Ladies and you wrote a book, obviously, about the spouses of the presidents.
2: Well, she's been groundbreaking because she's kept her day job, um, which is a full-time job as a community college professor. And so I think that's been really great for future presidential spouses. Um, but you know, as far as the, the volume of public appearances, she's doing that and making speeches and the administration seems to be relying more on Vice President Harris right now.
1: Okay. And uh, just want to mention something that I forgot to mention earlier where we talked about cult of personality and celebrities. Um, you were conducting public polling as research for your book, Star Power, and Oprah Winfrey and Tom Hanks actually polled more electable in the Senate races than Senators Tim Kaine and Senator. Yep. Corey uh, Booker, both great <laughs> yep. guys who uh, I'm uh, blessed to have met. Uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Wright, for being with us. Dr. Lauren A. Wright, associate research scholar and lecturer in politics and public affairs. Those books again are star power: American Democracy in the Age of the Celebrity Candidate, and On Behalf of the President: Presidential Spouses in the White House Communication Strategy. Today, her website: laurenawright.com. On Twitter at Dr. Lauren A. Wright. Check out her books. Good to have you with us, Dr. Wright. Thank you for joining thank us today. You, have a wonderful weekend.